Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. I'm your host, Nate Davison, and I want to thank you for coming and joining us on this episode today. You know, if you haven't yet, head on over to gracestoryministries.com and subscribe to our email list. The Grace Story community page on Facebook, that is an exclusive benefit for uh, Grace Story Ministries uh, subscribers to our email, and there are instructors on there. We're going to have LaShonda Sugg back in the next uh, couple weeks. Uh, She's going to be walking through some concepts that definitely will help you on your journey of restoration. Speaking of instructors, we have back on the episode today, Ryan Waters. He's our content strategy director. If you want to look back at episode number three of Grace Story Podcast, that's where Ryan walks us through uh, the roles we play and talking about childhood development. This is the second episode that uh, he's doing in a series, Um, and today we're going to be talking about uh, some things that also have to do with childhood development and the trauma maybe that was faced by some. Ryan, how are you doing today? Doing good, Nate. Thanks for having me back. Excellent to have you. Uh, always a pleasure. Love talking to you. And I'll tell you, I always learn something uh, when I talk to you about these concepts. A lot of them are really, really deep. Um, so I'm glad that we at Grace Story have you to break them down for us. One of the things that um, we had talked about was, of course, the roles we play in childhood development. Um, you know, you'd mentioned the hero child, the scapegoat, some things like that. Um, we also made sure that we emphasized that none of these experiences were necessarily the fault of the child. They were uh, just experienced by the child. Um, and with that, you know, we, we have some questions about why did I behave that way, I guess? Uh, maybe why do I behave now? What What is my behavior um, have to do with some of those roles Um and so I just want to, to hand it over to you to, to kind of kick off mm-hmm. as to answering that question about the behaviors that I have coming out of those roles. Sure. And if this is a bit of a maybe a recap on one of the highlights of it. Those roles are ways we adapted to survive, to make sense of our world when we were growing up. And those adaptations, unless they evolve, probably the better word would be mature, then we tend to be stuck in that early state. And so what I would love to dig into more, because I think it's important to understand, is where exactly those wounds come from. And that kind of revolves around five core issues that we need to be healthy, functional human beings later in life. So those woundings happen around those five issues. So five issues, can you walk us through those and then maybe we'll dig into each one Sure, just a quick overview of them. Uh, Valuable, was the child valued for who they were? Not necessarily what they provided, but just who they were. Vulnerable, could the child be vulnerable and know that they're gonna be protected? They're not gonna be harmed or abused. Someone had their back. Three, could they be imperfect? Which is really just facing the reality of the human condition, because to be human is to be imperfect. And could they be accepted in that state? Uh, Four, dependency. Could the child learn that they could reach out to other relationships and be safe? They didn't learn to be over-dependent where they couldn't do for themselves, but neither were they entirely anti-dependent where they had to do everything for themselves. 
And then finally, could they be spontaneous and open? Could they learn how to express their feelings and behaviors in ways that were appropriate and within the levels of boundary containment? So whenever wounds happen in one of those five areas, that shows up as those adaptations later in life. So looking at these five areas, um, you kind of break them down as the nurturing uh, around that is what makes us into, you know, a mature adult or a highly functioning adult may be a, w- a better way to say it. Um, can we can we just take a look at, uh, for me, for the listeners, take a look at each one and maybe say what that looks like if uh, that was an experience um, or maybe they didn't experience nurturing in that area. Um, sure, absolutely. So, so uh, the first one, uh, value. So this is really teaching the child that they are lovable. And this is something I see show up in my office quite a bit is a core belief, a worldview that, you know, at the, at the core of who I am, there's something so broken about me that I'm not worthy of being loved. And rarely can the person put it in those exact words, but it shows up as a continued uh, self-deprecation. They're always putting themselves down. They never view themselves as up to the task or enough, or they always feel like they're a bother to someone. Uh, They always feel like they're the one at fault in every situation. And a lot of times that comes back to woundedness around not being valued. They're always viewed as less than. So you have valuable as, as the first one, vulnerable. The second one, they seem to kind of almost go hand in hand in a way, if you're putting yourself down, um, you, you don't really put yourself out there as much. Um, can you break down vulnerable, what that looks like and maybe differentiates from uh, value? Sure. So vulnerable at its core is, is the world a safe place and do people have my back? And so whenever a child is not protected, maybe they are thrown under the bus emotionally or verbally in front of other people, or maybe they are, maybe there's harm or neglect the child isn't protected from, then they either tend to go two two ways. Either they move towards a kind of an over vulnerability where they walk around with a sense of uh, impending pain or harm that's about to come their way. Or they move towards the other end of the spectrum and they kind of wall off and become invulnerable, which, as you can imagine, can prove to be difficult, especially in relationships. Uh, It can feel like trying to get to know a brick wall because the person doesn't feel safe enough to let you in. And so that usually leads to either enmeshment issues down the road if someone is too vulnerable and they don't understand healthy boundaries or it can lead to avoidance issues where people are unsafe. And so I'm going to keep that wall up and I'm going to avoid people altogether. And we talked about what enmeshment means back in episode three about, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan, where you really can't, you're so dependent or, or uh, in need of someone emotionally that you can't tell where you begin and where they end. And it's just, uh, you use the word icky. Uh, in that episode <laughs> about yeah. that. So these seem to almost be something that um, you probably don't just have one of these as we're going to number three about imperfect and what that looks like. It seems mm-hmm. like you probably have one, two, three of these areas where you may not have been nurtured correctly. 
if you weren't nurtured correctly in one of them. It is pretty common to see uh, wounding show up in multiple dom- multiple domains and, and those different core issues. Uh, sometimes that wounding is more severe in one than the other. That's not uncommon to see. But it's not like if you are in one category, you can't be in the others. It's kind of pick those that apply so, if you're filling out a survey. Yeah, knowing that, um, looking at the imperfect part, um, it all looks like a big mess if you have one, maybe, but two or three. I can see how you might begin to think um, about how imperfect you may be. You may put yourself down. Um, yeah, this is this is something that you really would need to go to somebody and have them help you just rewire almost from this. Well, because, and this is a perfect time to really get to the core issue three, because it's about reality. And if that's the only reality you know, it is really hard to pick through. Where are these woundings? Why is it here? Because uh, it's kind of, if you grew up in a world that only has the color green in it, it's trying to describe the color green. You know, it's, it's all you know. There's nothing to really differentiate one thing from the other. So you need that outside perspective, like a trained professional or someone who's really competent in these things to know how to help you make sense of your own world. So looking at that number three, what does that look like uh, for us so we can understand that a little bit more? Sure. So this can show up whenever someone grows up in a home where they were uh, not allowed to be human. And I'm not saying they weren't dressed up in uh, human clothes and fed human food. That's the food. That's not it. The human condition is to be imperfect and to be lovable in that imperfection. And so whenever a child is never allowed to make mistakes or those mistakes are harshly criticized and they're always, they pick up the idea that who they are isn't enough. It's who they are plus their ability to perform. Then they usually wind up with some kind of woundedness around core issue three, imperfect. Can they be human? And whenever that happens, they tend to go one of two ways. Either they kind of become the, well, I'm just going to chuck everything, forget you, I'm hitting the road, kind of that bad, rebellious uh, spirit, or they move towards, I'm going to check every box there is because I have to check those boxes to be enough. They become good and perfect. As we've gone over episode three and now this episode, um, man, it, it puts so much responsibility on me as a parent. Um, I don't want to cause this type of trauma uh, for my kids. Um, Mm -hmm. so I'm very appreciative to look at it and then, you know, filter it through how I'm doing a job now. And, and if there is any sort of, um, cycle, be sure to break it and, and Mm -hmm. make sure that I am knowledgeable about what the effects of my actions are as a parent. Uh, a little digression there, of course, Uh, number four, it says uh, dependent. What, What does that look like? So core issue four is about dependency and it's where we learn that relationships are safe that our needs and wants can be safely, reliably met through healthy relationships. And whenever that doesn't happen, let's say a child isn't sure where the next meal is coming from or isn't sure that they can trust the reactions emotionally from their parents, then there can be wounding that takes place around that core issue. So one of the things I think about uh, as you're talking there about not knowing where your next meal comes from 
You know, we've all read those stories or maybe been a part of donating to a program at a school where they provide breakfast um, for kids. Um, or, you know, during this recent pandemic uh, quarantine, um, there was a lot of concern about where kids that were going home to an unstable uh, home life like you're talking about were going to get their next meal and what, what their parents looked like, whether that's something, you know, uh, uh, we say normal uh, yeah, struggles of life or something extreme like uh, drug addiction or mental illness or divorce or uh, incarceration, whatever that may look like, you know. Uh, so that's kind of what I see um, w- whenever you're talking there. Yeah, absolutely. And so what we're getting at there is whenever a child grows up in that environment where their needs cannot be reliably met, they tend to go a couple of different ways. Either they become anti-dependent, which is where they kind of wall themselves off and choose not to rely on other people to meet their needs, which in the end looks like isolation, or they move towards over-dependence to dependence. And this is especially true in homes where uh, maybe the the buzzword is helicopter parents, things like that, where everything is done for the child and the child never really develops the necessary kind of core resiliency or core internal strength that they need in order to enter into a healthy relationship. And so the, the middle ground that we're looking for here is called interdependence which is where you have two strong people walking side by side, choosing to be in relationship with each other, each supporting and lifting the other up. That's what healthy relationships ideally look like. And that seems to, that, that type of relationship seems to lead also into uh, number five about being spontaneous and open. Um, how does that relate also to the, to the other uh, four? So spontaneous and open is probably one of the more fascinating ones for me because it, uh, especially my background tend to be much more uh, goal oriented. So how does being spontaneous and being open really play into uh, making us into healthy human beings? And really it comes down to, can we learn to be authentic, energetic, and expressive without fear of being repressed and with an understanding of what healthy containment looks like, where the boundaries lie. Whenever that doesn't happen, uh, it's, it's fascinating how that can show up. It can show up in people either being over constrictive. And so they never, they, they walk around feeling like they always have to measure every word that's spoken. They replay conversations all the time in their head and they uh, can often be controlling of situations, not because of some maniacal desire, but because they, that's the only way they know to feel okay. On the other end of the spectrum, um, whenever someone doesn't learn what healthy containment looks like, then they can overstep boundaries very easily without even realize that, realizing that they're doing it. And this can look like chaos in their life. And so understanding what that healthy middle ground looks like with moderation is something that kids learn through the nurture of their parents. So the parent is the one coming alongside the child and saying, hey, you know what? I love seeing that energy and that behavior come out of you. That is so who you are. 
let me help you understand what that looks like in this context, where the boundary lines are and what appropriate looks like. And so that forms the kind of internal framework that the child needs to become a healthy functioning adult later in life. Well, wow, Ryan, so not to get off on another rabbit trail, but you know, I'm a dad of two girls, uh, age four, age one. Uh, and depending on the day, you know, I, I think twice before taking them into a, a store because I don't know what type of bombastic uh, high of emotion I'm going to get from them. So I can be guilty maybe of being over reacting on keeping them in line. Um, can you maybe speak a little bit to, to me as a parent uh, in that um, trying to keep them in line? I might be guilty of that myself. I don't know. Well, I think all parents can sympathize with that to some degree, that cringe whenever the, the child acts up at a store or a restaurant. And that really does come down to kind of the core issue five piece. And just to normalize that for one thing, you're not alone in that struggle. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> for sure. As a dad of two, I get it. I, I get it today when I was in the store with, with my own. Um, the reality of it is those moments when kids act up in the store or the restaurant, those are moments of opportunity to help them know what it means to be appropriate in certain contexts. And so in those moments when you help keep them in line, it's, it's a matter of degrees. You can overreact, sure, as, as we are, we have to be careful not to do as parents for sure. And when you do that, you can end up shaming the child. So this is the parent who you see yelling full throttle in the aisle at, at Home Depot at their child because they fill in the blank. And the child internalizes, I have to be extremely quiet. I am not allowed to be who I am by any means, which is a fun-loving, bombastic kid. And I have to always keep mind my P's and Q's. And can you get a child who knows how to be quiet and, and not act up? Sure, but you also get a child who really doesn't know how to play, who really doesn't know how to engage in life and with emotion and intimacy and intensity in ways that are appropriate. So that is, that is a danger. The other side of it is if that that child or that uh, you're walking through the store and you see that child is just destroying the store and the parent does absolutely nothing. <laughs> uh, that's a whole nother kind of wounding that the child is picking up. And in that sense, the child is out of control and the learning that chaos is the norm. And that doesn't just go away. That's how they, unless there's some other kind of uh, force that helps them understand what containment is, they're going to carry that same level of out-of-controlness, that chaos, into adulthood. It sounds like there's so many ways to go wrong as a parent. <laughs> um, does this, maybe, having experienced these things um, and, and knowing that humans are fallible, I just want to ask the, the question, and it may sound callous, but if I've experienced these things, or someone else has experienced these things, does that make their parents a bad parent or how do we differentiate that? Well, 
I was actually watching something very fascinating and bear with me here. It's a bit of a tangent, but I'll tie it in. Sure. I was actually watching something on nutrition the other day and it said your diet was influenced by your grandmother's diet because the food that she ate influenced the embryo that was growing inside of her, which was your mother and your mother's diet influenced of course her down or down the line it goes. And so uh, our current circumstances are incredibly tied to our genealogy, genetics. There's a lot of pieces going on there. So if you want to put fault on that, I'm not sure that really fits because the reality of it is there's a whole lot that they couldn't control. And so I don't view it necessarily as blaming parents. I think it's more just understanding how we got to this point and where we're at. 90, I'm making this figure up here, 95% of parents do the best they can with what they got where they're at. And they're not in any way trying to cause harm. There's genuine, deep, profound love for their kids. They're just doing the best they can. And I think the important thing is to affirm that, but also recognize that sometimes even doing the best they can mistakes were made and doesn't make them bad people. It makes them human. And so we're offering to them the same, same thing we're hoping for ourselves. Core issue three, acknowledge our own imperfection and their imperfection and figure out what do we do with that now? And some of that too is extending, you know, the same grace that we've been given by God to other people who are, are fallible. And I, I appreciate you making the distinction because as a parent, um, you know, I'm doing my best and I'm trying to find resources to be a better parent all the time. Um, but I know I'm getting it wrong, but you know, I'm praying every day that, you know, I make the right decisions and, and my children grow up to be, uh, first loving God and then loving others. Um, you've walked us through all five of these, and these are things that, that we can experience, uh, not getting nurtured in, and they have effects later on in life. You've said that. Can we dig a little bit deeper on that? Maybe why do our childhood experiences really matter? Um, and to those that may say it's all in the past, uh, why is this important? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So it's important because the first experiences in your life, especially those prior to the age of 18, uh, kind of, if you were to use a computer analogy, they kind of write the program that runs the computer for the rest of your life. And so you can't just rewrite that program very easily. And that's why it's so important to understand as parents that you are really helping your kids figure out how to operate as adults. Uh, You're teaching them what it means to be human. And so whenever there are mistakes made, there's error in that code, if you want to use the competing term, then that shows up as complications later in life. Either I'll take take a few examples here. Uh, it can show up as addiction whenever you have issues around core issue four, which is dependency, and you move towards anti-dependent or needless and wantless, which is where you don't even know what you need or want, and so you numb out from the pain of that using some kind of addiction. Or it can show up as resentment issues or raging if there's woundedness around core issue two, vulnerability, because maybe there wasn't someone there to protect you, And so later in life, you feel the resentment of that lack of protection, or that shows up as anger issues uh, because you're 
you know, we're never really allowed to be vulnerable. Um, it can show up as intimacy issues when in relationship, you really don't know what safety in relationship feels like. And so you either become super anxious in relationships or you try to avoid them altogether. That's all a reaction of what we experienced uh, growing up. So this is definitely not something that's in the past. If somebody were to say that it's something we continue to experience through the behaviors we manifest based on what we experienced. Is, is that a fair summarization? The past is never really the past. Yeah. We interpret all current circumstances and situations through the lens of past experience. And so, um, let me give you maybe a more concrete example here. So if you grew up in a home where dad was extremely, uh, let's say harsh, authoritarian, uh, even abusive, then whenever you get into that first job and your boss is a little bit gruff with you, it's gonna activate all of those old neural networks and memory around what dad was like. And you're gonna, it's gonna be very easy to project what dad was like on the face of your boss. Or let's say you grew up in a home where mom was very rigid, but disengaged. She had a lot of expectations, a lot of demands, but was very cold. So whenever you move into a relationship and let's say you move into marriage and your wife uh, very clearly states some kind of expectation of you it's going to be very difficult for you to separate that cold, uh, disengaged uh, example that you experienced from your mom and not project that on your wife. That's, that's, those are really good examples, actually. Um, I, I can see that, and those have big implications for your life, too. I mean, if you, oh, your source of income, if you're, if you're projecting issues you have with your father onto an authoritarian boss, uh, that doesn't sound like it's going to go too well. One of you is going to, uh, well, you'll probably part ways at some point, um, whether wanted or unwanted. Uh, it, it, your relationship with your wife or, or husband, um, yeah, if it's cold, those intimacy issues, you're right. The, the past is never really the past, um, and it informs current experiences as well. Absolutely. And when I talked earlier about getting the story straight, I think that's why one of the reasons why it's so important is because uh, the healing journey is really about understanding what we missed, what went wrong early in our, in our programming, and then learning how to rewrite that program to, to be true, to be reality, to be healthy. And so let's say that Let's go back to the authoritarian father example. At some point, getting the story straight help, helps you recognize, ah, that was an area of my wounding. And whether he meant to or not, that was the experience my dad left me with. And so that is part of my code that got written into my, my DNA. And so part of what I'm gonna do now is going to go back and learn that not all relationships with men are like that. Not all authority figures are that harsh, demanding, critical self. Sometimes they are very warm, very ingratiating. That is the work of 
the inner child work that we talk about sometimes with developmental relational trauma, cognitive restructuring, where you learn how to think differently about situations. It all starts with getting the story straight. So let me ask you this on a different, uh, different approach. Um, we, we may have listeners that are listening into this and they're hearing you talk about some of the symptoms and they're like, Ooh, anxiety. Yeah. I experienced that or something uh, like depression. Yeah. I, I experienced that or maybe something more extreme, like, you know, substance abuse issues. But then they look back at their childhood and they're like, I had a great childhood. Uh, there were, there were none of these issues. You're giving these examples of things and I can't actually really relate to that on a personal level. Um, it would be great if I could, cause that, that would maybe explain this. What, what about that listener out there who, who's like, says that I have a great childhood, but I still have, uh, or struggle with uh, relationships, anxiety, depression, uh, some of those things. You know, I get that sometimes when folks come in, uh, they will tell me, you know, I had a great childhood. I don't know why these things are showing up. And I tend to just say, well, then let's be curious about that. We're seeing the symptoms of it. Let's just be curious and dig in and see what's there. And many, many times, uh, what was not apparent going in becomes more clear the deeper you dig, or the more you understand what healthy nurture looks like. And that's often the starting place. Because when you understand what healthy looks like, what appropriate looks like, and you have a standard to compare your experience to, then things tend to surface that maybe weren't clear before. So I want to dig there a little bit deeper because I, I think there might be a listener wondering, um, well, a question, how do I understand who I am? Hmm. And that's a tough one. And even just that question is actually probably a symptom of something deeper because whenever you come out from childhood into adulthood, not really knowing who you are, it probably means there wasn't someone or wasn't what you needed, maybe is the better way to put it, to help you make sense of that and answer that question for yourself. And so a lot of this comes down to again, core issue three, where you're helping the child learn to face reality. And that's a term I use a lot. And I view reality, coming from a Christian perspective, I view reality as what God sees from his perspective. And so whenever I adopt his view of my worth, my value, my level of protection, then I tend to move towards health because I tend to, I do move towards health because I feel like that is the ultimate reality that, that we operate out of. And so whenever someone is trying to figure that out, I usually start with purpose, meaning, why are we here? And uh, issues of value and core self-worth because when you get those pieces in place, it tends to help the other pieces of what do I like? What do I not like? Those tend to be worked out once you get the core uh, pieces of the foundation in place. So I'm a listener. I'm listening to this being broken down. Um, and you know, maybe I'm not ready for counseling yet. Maybe I know I need to go to counseling, but uh, I don't have the funds or, you know, maybe somebody's too far away. There's nobody in my area. Um, or, you know, maybe this is my first time recognizing something because of what's been said today. I'm like, Ooh, 
maybe I do need to process something or something's come up. What, what's my next step as a listener to this podcast, to this episode? Um, do I need to go to counseling for it? Can I just recognize that it happened and move on? Do I need to dredge up everything that happened to me as a kid so that I can find out what thing happened? Uh, can you walk us through what's, what's my next step? So as a counselor, I do think that I'm, I'm biased here, I understand, but I think everyone can benefit from going to prof- a professional who does this for a living, knows it inside and out, and can help you make sense of your story, gain, give you that perspective. And I know that uh, I offer consultations. LaShonda Sugg, who you had on previously, offers consultations. There are people out there who are willing to help you answer some of those questions. If you're not ready to take that step, there are a few other things that good resources that I think could be of use here. One is the Grace Story Ministry. Shoot us an email, uh, subscribe to the email list, join the uh, Grace Story Facebook page. There's a tremendous amount of useful information uh, on on those resources. Another tremendous resource that I'd highly recommend is a book called Gifts from a Challenging Childhood. And it's by a lady named Jan Bergstrom. And you can find this online on Amazon or other bookstores but it's a tremendous resource and it's where a lot of the information that we're talking about today can be found. It has a lot of tremendous resources, including exercises that can help you make sense of your story. Uh, Jan works with Dr. Rick Butts and she and uh, Dr. Butts are the, the founders of developmental and relational trauma therapy, which a lot of us uh, in my practice and LaShonda, as you mentioned before, uh, is certified with. If you're able to jump into those resources, Grace Story, the the book I mentioned by uh, Jan Bergstrom, I think those can be tremendous helps along your healing journey. Excellent. And we've had that book uh, kind of pop up from from other uh, professionals as well. Um, you know, it's it's definitely a resource if you haven't gotten it yet. Um, you can reach out to us and we can definitely point you in the direction of how to to get that. And like Ryan said too, please uh, go subscribe to the email and uh, join our, our listing there um, so you can join the Facebook community page. Um, well, Ryan, it was a privilege to have you today. I know we're going to have you back on uh, in a future episode as well to continue our discussion here on childhood development. Thank you so much, Nate. It's been great to be here. And we also want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in. We hope you'll keep on tuning in and tell your friends about this podcast. We have some great topics with some professionals coming in to talk about uh, uh, human trafficking, domestic violence. Um, We also have someone coming in to talk about nurse resiliency uh, in healthcare. We have someone else coming in to talk about burnout and what, uh, what we can do about that. So keep on tuning in, and we'll see you next time here on Grace Story Podcast.